On today's show, how a quiet place made a big boom at the box office, an NHL playoff preview, and could Doctor Strange be the next leader of the MCU? All this and more as we once again delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. We are back once again with the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. Thanks so much for tuning in to our show each and every week. We're just so happy that you're back listening to us. And it wouldn't be a Pop Culture Cosmos without my good friend, he is the main man at Humanica Media. You got to check out all their great stuff today at humanicamedia.com. It's, of course, Josh Peterson. What's going on, my friend? Hey, hey, hey. Just checking out these new trailers that popped up here recently for a little uh, Star Wars story, but I'm sure we'll get to that later. Uh, well, actually, we'll touch on that as the weeks to come. I know that's solo a Star Wars story. We actually posted it on our Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page. So if you get a chance, it's in our Pop Culture Cosmos news feed right there for you. Also, as well, the latest cinematic trailer for Marvel Infinity War also came out. And that one, I tell you, is a hoot as well. Just so excited for both those movies. It was announced Solo would be debuting at Cannes. This year, around mid-May, I think May 15-ish, if I'm not mistaken. So it is a reality. It is going to happen. And it's going to be out in theaters around Memorial Day weekend here in the United States and all over the world as well, the end of May. So definitely looking forward to that. Of course, Infinity War, everybody's excited for that coming up later this month. It's beginning to look a lot better for the film industry now after coming off one of their worst months in Almost 20 years here at the North American box office with just a disappointing March, but definitely things are starting to turn around already. And it all starts off with a bang, well, a silent one, with A Quiet Place taking the U.S. box office with $50 million this weekend at the box office. Josh, this horror thriller slash uh, suspense slash whatever you want to call it scary maybe even a little bit of a sci-fi element to it it has garnered great reviews almost 100 percent on rotten tomatoes and is actually doing very well at the box office in fact it actually exceeded expectations and it almost fits into that horror genre with those big opening weekends your thoughts on it, you've actually seen it, so I want to hear your thoughts on A Quiet Place and why it's making so much noise at the box office. It's not what I expected it to be, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. They you know, they market it as a, a horror movie. They market it as one of those, I, I don't know, I, the marketing materials kind of reminded me of The Others with Nicole Kidman and maybe a little bit of Signs too, but I went into it and it's... It's kind of it's more like, you know how people like The Walking Dead because it kind of chronicles the human interactions when you're trying to survive big apocalyptic event. It was it was kind of like that. So that you have this family living on this farm. These they never really say where the creatures come from that you, you see like glimpses of newspapers and stuff saying you know talk about how to survive and talks about they, they don't say invasion. They don't really say anything. They just say the creatures, just newspaper clippings of the creatures and how to fight them and what you need. So. 
you know, I'm not going to go into too much detail because it's going to spoil it. And it's a new movie, so I don't want people not to go see it. But the movie starts out really quiet and it kind of shows how the family survives. You know, they have the system of lights that shows when something's moving or when there's an emergency and they kind of live underground. It shows how like for the kids, how to how they keep quiet and like you can't make any noises and how the creatures hunt and stuff like that and how this family survives. And it's kind of really it's more of a story about them than it is about the creatures. But I'll get to that in a minute. They use sound to build moments of suspense. So you can tell that, like, the, for example, the son, he's scared to, to leave the protection of where they live because he's absolutely terrified of these creatures. And if you see the movie, you'll, you'll understand why. And then you have the, the daughter who is deaf, and she uses one of those cochlear implants. And the dad is trying to make it so she can hear, make it work. And it kind of does, kind of doesn't. But then that has a huge part to play later on in the movie. And it's just like, is their dynamic? The mom's pregnant and you have stuff like that. So they do kind of, you know how in Dunkirk they use like the to build that those moments of suspense. The first half is pretty silent. So anytime you hear any type of music play, you know that it's building up towards something. And what the movie does a, they, you know, like, okay, we talked about this before the podcast, but you know how in signs they have the, they do a good job of scaring you because they don't really show you what these creatures are. You see like you see things move and then about halfway through you see the legs sticking out or it may, even early on in the movie you see the silhouette of the alien on the roof of the barn. In this they show you what these creatures are almost immediately. And I, I think they did it on purpose so where it kind of takes the attention off of what they are and the mystery of them and focuses more on the family dynamic and the survival of it and allows them to use clever editing techniques with sound to build up suspense in the audience and so the movie you know the movie goes on and you have it just it it escalates of course you know there's gonna be an incident where their house starts getting overrun by these things but there are some parts though that i feel were cheap where they have like for example they kind of do a good job of leading you into the next plot twist so they have like the mom drags a bag of laundry up the stairs and it pulls a loose nail out of the floorboard and you look at you're like somebody's gonna step on that later somebody's gonna step on that the same tropes that you see in a lot of other like films as far as horror or thrillers or suspense is concerned, correct? Right. And it almost like to a point, it almost feels cheap. And then there's another part where the dad goes, saves the mom and he has to go back up the stairs because they built this soundproof room underneath their barn. And as he leaves, you see a pipe leaking kind of off to the side and you're like, that's going to flood the basement. That's that's totally going to flood the basement. You know, another thing, kids fall into a tower full of seeds you're like, somebody's going to end up drowning in the seeds. So it's kind of the, you know, instead of the teenagers running in the woods and one of them falling and tripping in the woods, you can actually see some of the stuff unfolding a mile away as far as the suspense aspect is concerned. So it takes almost a little bit out of that. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it does. And see, the thing about this is the kids are really smart. It's just like weird acts of quote unquote fate in the film that lead them into these situations. Yeah, uh, you know, all in all, it's a good movie. I didn't like the ending because it it felt corny because it just I guess spoil it now. You already sent some spoilers already. Can you be just maybe roundabout, maybe not give full spoilers on it? No, I mean it doesn't ruin the story or anything, but it kind of ends with like the mom like has the shotgun and she like does this weird like nod at the daughter and she goes and then the credits roll. So it's kind of like takes away that whole like suspense thing and just kind of be like, Well, this is kind of like how a diehard film would end. It has its things that are not great, but it's also a really, really good movie. And it, it, what, I think what I liked about it was that it was nothing what I was expecting it to be. 
And well, they- in what way, as far as you pointed out some of the flaws in the movie, but what are some of the things that happened that maybe you weren't expecting or that made it so enjoyable and gave it a positive review from you? I had created these expectations and the movie was nothing what I was expecting it to be. So all those expectations crumbled the moment the movie started. You have a lot of movies that like they want to prolong dramatic moments. They want to they use like cheap techniques like kids, for example, they'll use kids to kind of be like get you attached to these characters that this little kid in your life or dogs or something. They'll get you attached to these like cute little things and. You're like, it just hurts so much more when something bad happens or you think something bad's going to happen. Like it moves you to the edge of your seat. But here they don't shy away from like shocking you with things. And just they prove that in like the first three minutes of the film. That's cool about it. But, you know, it has some some flaws in the in the logic of it all. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But I enjoyed it, I, you know, despite some of the things that I, I wouldn't have done. Like, I still thought that it was overall, it was a gr- it was a good film. I'll probably send a review up here soon. But, you know, if you're on the fence about it, I would recommend going to see it because it's not one of those movies that I can fully put into words. It's something that it's not really an intellectual ride. It's more of an emotional one. It's presenting you something different in the fact that obviously, like you said, the first part of the movie is dedicated to just silence or being very quiet as far as the whole ambiance and devoting so much to what the title speaks as far as it's concerned for their own safety yeah it's less of a horror movie not it's not a horror movie in the aspect that they marketed as which they were clever with their marketing it's more of a emotional you you become attached to the characters and not the monsters i guess is is what i'm trying to say here there's top name actors in Emily Blunt and John Krasinski being the stars of it. So there there actually is some heavy-duty star power guiding this story along. So it's good to hear that there are positive things to come out of. Like I said, it's got almost 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's done very well at the U.S. box office. And I expect it to be something that people will be interested in seeing because of its novel concept. And obviously, like you said, you were talking about with the audio editing, something to be thought about when it comes to audio editing for Oscars this time next year, as far as maybe possibly being considered or even coming out with one as far as if the audio editing is as good as you say as well. So definitely something to think about there. It is a quiet place. Once again, does very well here in the United States, topping out with 50 million plus it looks like it's going to have the second biggest weekend of the year at the U.S. box office. Ready Player One, which finished second at the U.S. box office this weekend, was first last weekend. It garnered 53 over a four-day span because uh, it opened up a day earlier than a normal movie would on Friday. It opened up a day earlier. But that is still doing well because this week it will go over $400 million worldwide. So Good news for fans of Ready Player One. Actually, here in a minute, Rob McCallum in the Cosmic Crossfire and I will go back and forth on our thoughts about Ready Player One, the movie itself, and also what it represents. And if it should have been even considered as a TV show or something different, we talk about that coming up here in a few minutes. But once again, Ready Player One looking to go over $400 million worldwide. The box office seems to be getting a little bit better after a disastrous month of March. Well, one of the worst months in over 20 years at the U.S. box office as far as generating revenue. So definitely that's a good sign as far as the box office is concerned. But I ask you one last question. 
A Quiet Place, like I said, did very well for a movie considered maybe a horror, suspense, thriller type deal. Will it follow suit of other horror movies in its second weekend and going forward with a steep drop as many other horror movies do in its second, third week and beyond? I don't think so. I don't think it'll have a drop, but I don't think it's going to be a dramatic one because this is one of those like artsy movies and artsy movies seem to do well in the fact that instead of having this steep decline, it's kind of a just a little like downhill, a gradual type flutter. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think it's going to going to uh, maybe in the third or fourth week it's out, it might drop significantly. But as far as like, you know, for the next couple of weeks, I think it's going to do pretty well. It's a suspense thriller, and they do a great job of kind of latching on to your emotions in the film. In the same way The Last of Us did on PlayStation 4, that's what I was thinking when I was watching it. They do do a good job of getting you emotionally invested in the characters, and it's surprising that they do it with them using so little word, so few words, too. Once again, that's Josh's thoughts on A Quiet Place. You can check out his written review coming up in the near future on our Pop Culture Cosmos websites, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Definitely looking forward to seeing how well it performs over the long haul. And I agree with Josh. I don't think it's going to get a steep drop like normal horror movies do. I think it's going to, because of the good word of mouth, I think it's going to see a good long run here at U.S. domestically. And I hopefully it will translate as well to a nice worldwide take because at this present time the box office sorely needs it going into larger movies including infinity war coming up later this month what are your thoughts on a quiet place was it a suspense thriller that you really enjoyed were you scared did you like the novel concept of being quiet for a good portion of the movie and building the suspense based off of being quiet and getting that suspense once any type of sound is heard share us your thoughts popculturecosmos at yahoo.com also as well popculturecosmos humanity media and game source on facebook and twitter as well We've got a great episode coming up for you today. We've got Rob McCallum coming up right after the break in the Cosmic Crossfire. Plus, also as well, Josh and I are going to break down the upcoming NHL playoffs. Plus, also as well, thoughts again on the TV ratings scene from our good friend Hunter Vaught at the TV Ratings Guide. He's going to break down the TV rating scene and some final thoughts as we head more into the month of April on some stuff that has piqued his interest in the TV rating scene. All this is going on. It's going to be another great program right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Get ready for Kitty Origins Evolutions, the latest documentary from Rob McCallum. Generously peppered with archival footage shot by the band, this film gives you an honest and brutal look at what it takes to survive in the music industry. Order the DVD, Blu-ray, and live CD triple pack that features recordings from throughout their 20-year illustrious history from RobMcCallumFilms.com. RobMcCallumFilms.com, your place for awesome stories about awesome people and films worth watching. And it is time once again for The Cosmic Crossfire. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We thank you so much for listening to the show today. It would definitely not be a Cosmic Crossfire without my good friend. He is the man, the myth, the legend behind RobMcCallumFilms.com. You got to check out all the great things going at Rob McCallum Films, including the smash hit that sold out on Amazon. 
It's the amazing Kitty documentary. And here he is now, my good friend, the director, Rob McCallum. What's going on, man? Oh, just living the dream and uh, gearing up for a really busy month. Uh, April 2018, I will be run off my feet. Uh, it is nice that we're out of March. And like, as you said, the Kitty doc has been released to uh, much uh, fanfare for sure. And a lot of critical acclaim as, as the press starts rolling in. And we're really excited to have that out there. And it's, it's you know, by far one of my favorite projects that I've done for a variety of reasons. Uh, so anybody that has, you know, Amazon, go go order it now. It it may be out of stock because they did sell out on their opening day and it shot up to number one on the metal charts because it's included uh, a live CDs part of that set. So check out Kitty Origins Evolutions. Hear the, uh, the tale of the heavy metal band uh, that started with a group of teenagers who wondered, wouldn't it be great if we were rock stars? And they got to live the dream for better or worse. And uh, 20 years later, they're here to tell their story. I will say this about the Kitty documentary. I have seen it. And as a documentary covering the band itself and what they've gone through and all their their music and and over the years or whatnot, it doesn't get any better than what Rob McCallum has done for, for them out there. So if you get a chance, check it out. Kitty, Origins, and Evolutions. But like you said, April is a new month. And you've got a lot going on starting this month as well. Well, I should say you and I did talk briefly off camera in your big concern with the kitty doc was you wanted to know more. You wanted to see and hear more. And there is a three hour version out there of the documentary. It was reserved just for Indiegogo backers, but you never know if you make enough noise and the sales do well enough, they may try to get that three hour version from us and release it on mass. So Check it out. Check out the 90-minute version. If you want to know more, then you know, make some noise online. There's so much to learn, and there's so much that you want to know when it comes to Kitty and their success. So much got put into the 90-minute that you just want to know more. So definitely check it out today, Kitty Origins and Evolutions. But again, you've got a lot of stuff going on in April, my friend, including announcement that you made coming up for later this month. Oh, did, did there was there a little announcement? Did we make an announcement today on Facebook? Uh, you might have, uh, from what I saw, unless you and Jay just like to stand together and just smile right in front of the camera. Well, I will say that we had a pretty good laugh on April Fools. We uh, <laughs> we had a pretty good laugh with the post we made on, on Sunday, April 1st that said, Super Nintendo Entertainment System, who's ready for Super Nintendo Quest? Game on. That was a joke. People um, freaked out. People definitely freaked out, but it was fun. And that led, that was all strategy, of course, because that led to today's post. And today's post basically said, after five years, we're ready to go on another quest. And on April 24th, join us on Kickstarter to see what that quest might pertain to. What is this new quest that Jane and Rob are going on? Kickstarter, April 24th. It'll be great. Looking forward to it as well. So my friend, there is a lot going on in the realm of pop culture. So pray tell, Rob, what's on your mind when it comes to pop culture? Well, I definitely feel like I'm probably off the uh, the old beaten path of some of the normal topics that are out there. Ready Player One, I think it's dividing some people on some level, and everybody's a little bit surprised by it. This is still a film that I did not see a lot of press for, which is really shocking given the success of the book and the fact that Steven Spielberg is you know the director behind it the only press that i really saw was like really negative given some of the online posters 
that uh, had been shared out there and people were criticizing like we talked about before. And I just kind of did a bit of a survey over Easter weekend as I ran into some friends and family just to ask them what they thought of it, whether they'd seen it or not. And overwhelmingly, the response was, this looks like a CG fest with a lot of nostalgic references. And it was like an off-putting thing for them. And I thought, well, it's really interesting that we're still in an era where there's this story that definitely has this computer-generated imagery world and it's off-putting. I don't know if that's because it's animation, if it's the look and the style of the animation, if if animation as a whole is relegated to kids so it's not an adult thing or adults can't enjoy that very specific look. And would it have been more successful if it was like The Matrix and everything was like live action, but we knew it was in a different kind of computer world? And then there's the pop culture side of things. Obviously, for those that have read the book, like myself and Gerald, I can't remember. Have you checked out the book? I read it last year, yes. And it is decidedly different than the actual film results. I will say this. I actually did enjoy the CG for the first and third key experiences were some of the most brilliant CGI I've ever seen in my life. I just truly cannot say enough good things about it. The second key, however, I I did have issues. I mean, my full review is up on the popculturecosmos.wordpress.com site. I did give it a positive review overall. I thought there was plenty of issues with it, but when it is really keyed in in the Oasis, it is absolutely brilliant as far as the, again, the first and third experiences as far as getting those keys are concerned and what they had to do with it and all the pop culture icons that are part of it just truly just was amazing to me and almost brought a tear to my eye because these are all things that as someone who is approaching 50 years old, it is something that I have experienced in some form or fashion in every aspect. And it to me was just amazing to see it all on film come to life in, in that type of realm, something I would have never imagined before. Let's say even 10, 15 years ago, I would have never be, been able to imagine or fathom that. So to me, those parts were good. Overall, it was a positive experience for me as far as Ready Player One. And it is doing pretty good. It exceeded box office expectations. So it actually may end up seeing a profit for Warner Brothers. Yeah, and full disclosure, I haven't seen it yet. So I love that you have a review up there that I can check out the second I do get to sit down. I'm going to be super skeptical because I know people have said it is very different from the book. And which is okay because, you know, I like a lot of books and films and have their own different versions. And I really like Jurassic Park, as you know, as a movie, and I really love the book, uh, like on its own thing, and I can appreciate them for for their own pros and cons. But when it comes to the references, my concern, and I, I get where people are coming from, but they don't have, if they haven't read the book, then they don't understand the role that the references play into this giant quest to figure out what's going on and who's involved and why these things are there, and they're not just, hey, remember when, or isn't it cool to have this reference? It's it's ingrained in the story and in the characters much like who we are now as a society, which I think is is really brilliant. It's actually really pertinent to the story. And the book does a good job of explaining what it is if you're not familiar with it, but not in a way that is, you know, overbearing or holding your hand. So it'll be interesting to see how the film does that. Probably just like really whittles it down. My fear is when you dilute something like that, it really loses the luster of it. It does feel a little bit more of a cheap reference because you don't have the richness of it. So when we see these trailers where we have like Master Chief and, you know, the Iron Giant and the DeLorean and all these other references out there, I can't blame people for for saying, yeah, look at these call outs, all these other films, because I don't think the film can really go in depth on this stuff. 
And the more and more I thought about it and the more and more I thought about the book, it made me really feel like this should not have been a feature film. This really should have been a series. And with Ready Player Two having being announced, what a perfect way to kind of extend that series. Now, this is not a series that has to go on forever. Some, you know, it can just be 10 episodes straight, like a, like a limited run. And if Ready Player Two does well as a book, then maybe that's season two. But, you know, take the time to do this well. And you certainly have the audience for it in the realm of television. And I think you could probably even make a little bit more money if you were to do it that way, rather than risk it all as a theatrical run at the box office and possible failure. Now, like you said, it's doing well at the box office. I think this will be one of those Spielberg films that has a very specific audience. It's it's kind of like a cult favorite. It's not going to get wide claim, probably hugs from everybody out there. can't imagine anybody else trying to helm something this big with this many layers of detail than Spielberg himself. Really? I mean, can you? No, no. But then again, only his clout could get all those pop culture references as far as getting the rights to actually show it on screen. I don't think many other individuals out there can get or amass as many pop culture references as he could. I mean, he got his hands literally on almost everything that they were asking for. Just to me, it just seems like people that are concerned as far as the differences. And you know what? There are vast differences between the book and the film. And if you've not read the book yet, I suggest seeing the film first and taking it in for what it is before you delve into the book. It's one of the things I recommend. But yes, there are vast differences. But the book and the film have pluses and minuses for being so different. There's some things the book did better. There's some things the film did better. Now, overall, if you're going to put a gun to my head, I'd probably say the book is a tiny bit better than the actual film. But again, they both have their strong points and weak points as well. So, The weak points for me, and I can tell from the trailer, is the third act. The big kind of, now it's time for the ultimate battle kind of push is the thing that I felt really let down by the book. Because for the first three quarters of that book, this was going in some interesting territory that I really wish didn't have to be resolved in this apocalyptic, everyone rush to arms, unite and join the fight. And clearly that's what happens in the trailer because you can see like the wave of avatars coming over, over the hill. To me, I, I love seeing that and I understand. It's a cool it. visual, but like how many films and stories do we have yeah. to see that? And I, I get that part of it, I and I understand that that's probably maybe just a, a narrative cop out for, for lack of a better term. So I can I can totally understand where you get that. But Ready Player One to me, I think was like I said, a, a pretty solid film. And I do hope that there is going to be a Ready Player Two that eventually gets on screen because it was just different to see something like that on film in and of itself, because, you know, we see all the formulaic movies and whatnot. We see all the same things over and over, superhero this, superhero that, destruction this, sci-fi that, adventure this, love story that, you know. And obviously it does have those tropes in the movie itself, but it was just nice to see something a little bit away from the norm as far as what it presented on screen and how it presented it, so... To me, like I said, in that novelty in and of itself, it may not be so great the second time around, but hey, for me, it was still a solid movie experience. And it was kind of a nice rush to see that initial Wade Watts putting on the visor and getting that experience, even on a standard deaf screen. So that, like I said, for me overall, it was a, it was a pleasant experience. 
Do you think it could have been successful if they would have went like something the road of like the Matrix and done like a live action Oasis instead of CG everywhere? I don't think so because that's one of the or like uh, some sort of hybrid. And for yeah. everybody listening, the Oasis is the the game world that everybody yeah. plugs into where most of the story takes place. Yeah, and most of the story does take place. And in the movie, it's probably better served for doing so. When it gets outside of it, that's when you have some questions possibly around there as far as an opinions on, on how it's uh, being developed and whatnot. But for me, as far as maybe a TV standpoint, you have more time to flesh out that backstory You have more time to flesh out that world outside of the Oasis, that dystopian world in 2045 in Columbus and all around the world. And I I know there were some some people, like I said, that have severe differences with the book and the film being so vastly different from one another. So I I understand that could be the start of it, the the realm outside of the Oasis and how maybe the the thoughts on it were, were vastly changed. So... To me, I think the film was better served the more it was in the Oasis, for the most part, anyway. All right. Well, that'll do it for the Cosmic Crossfire. If you have a question for Rob about the show itself, maybe about a topic, or about his great projects, including the Kitty documentary, Origins and Evolutions, Missing Mom, Nintendo Quest, or the upcoming Kickstarter project on April 24th, just give him a shout-out. What could it be? What could it what be? Could it be? What could it be? April 24th. Tune in and find out. That's right. Or you can of course, listen here and you'll hear more tidbits as we go. This is the exclusive source of information for said secret project. And there'll be lots of stuff in the works. But if you have questions, send it to us here at popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Or you can shoot any of us a DM right here at Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanic Media, Game Source, or Rob McCallum Films on Facebook or Twitter. But Rob is a little different on Twitter. It's at Rob McZob. Rob, it's been great having you on the show, part of the Cosmic Crossfire, and of course, a part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. For the latest reviews and opinions on everything pop culture, head on over to our brand new site, www.popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And we're back again. It's the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald Glassford, and we truly thank you for sticking around and enjoying the show. Just want to make sure and let you know our shows are being streamed seven days a week on online radio and that we deliver two brand new shows covering the latest in pop culture every Monday and Friday to Apple Podcasts or our over 30 different podcast networks. Just subscribe to any one of them on the Pop Culture Cosmos channel to get extra content or just check out the Pop Culture Cosmos Facebook page for our entire schedule and a list of those podcasts and those radio networks, including our latest network for our friends in the UK, Sword Radio UK. That's right. We're moving to Sword Radio in the UK So everybody out there that listens to us in the UK area, get a chance to check us out. Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. UK time, you'll be able to hear some great stuff right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos on our new station in the UK, Sword Radio. Josh, I know you've got a great thing going on with Humanica Media, so please share with us what's going on with your great experience known as Humanica Media. 
Yes, we have a brand new episode of Topic Ocalypse dropping tonight. We interviewed the developer of an indie game. You'll be able to listen to that on Tuesday night, as well as a new episode of that show on Thursday. And you can hear another interview that we did from last week with the creators of Poncho. So definitely check that out. And we're also on the podcast radio network every Tuesday night at 630. 6.30. Did I do it right this time? You got the thumbs up? Thumbs down. Thumbs down. down. The regular scheduled time, unless John Sweeney at the Podcast Radio Network tells us differently, is 7 p.m. You had it last week, man. You had it last week. Attack of the Humanicans, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. So right now, the NHL playoffs is fast approaching. And to break it down real quickly, Josh... We're going to start off in the Eastern Conference with the different teams that are out there. The Tampa Bay Lightning is going to face off against the New Jersey Devils. The Boston Bruins are going to face off against Toronto Maple Leafs. The Washington Capitals are going to face off against the Columbus Blue Jackets. The Pittsburgh Penguins are going to face off against the Philadelphia Flyers in a Pennsylvania bloodbath, which I'm anticipating. Your thoughts on the Eastern Conference playoffs. Who do you think is going to be the favorite coming out of the Eastern Conference this year in the NHL playoffs? In the East, I think that Tampa Bay is the favorite. So honestly, when whenever I tell someone, a new hockey fan, when they're saying, hey, I, I, I want to start watching hockey, I tell them to watch the Tampa Bay Lightning because they are by far, even you know after the trading Ben Bishop, they're a fun team to watch because they're hungry their goaltending is really good like they lost bishop but they gained budai who is uh he was goaltending for the kings and they have vasilevsky is actually a really really great goalie and he was really underused until recently but the devils on the other hand they're one of those teams that they won the cup in 2011 but they kind of faded into obscurity and it's weird because you look at a lot of these teams with the exception of the bruins and the penguins and the capitals these other teams here they're they're teams that didn't really do well and I guess over the past five seasons but here they're they're kind of trying to make a name for themselves so it's such a a random assortment of teams even you know even on the west like there are so many teams that you wouldn't expect to make the playoffs that it's kind of like at this point it's anybody's game well I'm going to put it this way I think the Tampa Bay Lightning are a great team obviously when you have one of the best records out there you're definitely going to have a lot of people going Uh, Well, actually, you know, let's put it this way. They had more wins than anybody else. So from a victory standpoint, and as far from a full-body team standpoint, they obviously appear to be a very, very strong team. But I say if it was me, because, you know, the NHL playoffs, even more so than the Major League Baseball, NBA, or NFL playoffs, the NHL playoffs seem to have the more wild finishes than any other pro sports league out there. Obviously, as a Kings fan, you would know that because it wasn't too long ago when the Kings won from the absolute last spot in the playoffs, and they managed to go ahead as far as being a wild card all the way up to actual eventual Stanley Cup champions. So anything could happen. I think it's going to be an issue where there's a lot of good teams at the top. I think what a team that you do have to look out for, in my opinion, is the Toronto Maple Leafs. I think they are a very strong team. They're a team that maybe is uh, uh, people are overlooking because Boston and Tampa Bay seem to be ahead of everybody else as far as the regular season concerned. But from what I've seen in the roster and what I've seen in their play, 
I think Toronto Maple Leafs could provide a surprise. Will it be all the way as far as going to the actual Stanley Cup playoffs and being the team out of the Eastern Conference? I think right now it's going to be the Toronto Maple Leafs coming out of the East because I think overall they're a team that that people are overlooking. And I think it's those type of teams that seem to score well during the playoff run. While you're thinking of an actual true winner out of the East or someone that you got to lay money on as a favorite, I will go ahead with the West. In the West, we're going to start off with the Nashville Predators versus the Colorado Avalanche, who won their spot actually in their last game of the season. Winnipeg versus Minnesota. The Vegas Golden Knights, the Cinderella story, and the best ever expansion team from any of the major sports. They're going against the LA Kings. Anaheim Ducks are also in it. They had a nice closing schedule, winning eight of their last 10. They are going up against the San Jose Sharks. I think Cinderella's glass slipper will break for the Golden Knights in the second round. I've talked to you about this before as far as I thought the Golden Knights are a great story, but I'm not sure if they were going to be holding up in the playoffs. I think they will squeak by the Kings. I think the Kings will give them a lot to deal with as far as be from an experience standpoint. My pick, I think I'm going to go with the Winnipeg Jets because they are the hottest team going into the NHL. And I think they're going to ride that momentum as far as that, even above the Nashville Predators, who I would make a solid favorite otherwise. So I think right now the Winnipeg Jets are my call to win out of the West. Your thoughts on the Western Conference and who will come out of that playoff scenario? I don't think the Knights are going to beat the Kings. I disagree with you on that. The Kings, they've been to the playoffs. They've been to the Stanley Cup. They've been there recently. They have the same players ever since Jeff Carter came back. They've just become a a completely different team. I don't think that the Knights are going to get past them. I think the Knights will give them a run for their money. But again, playoff hockey is completely different from regular season hockey. And the Knights have never been to a playoff game. So I don't know. I'm curious. I'm interested. I would like to see that. But I don't think they're going to get past the Kings people have playoff fever here in las vegas and i can totally understand why from an experience standpoint obviously the kings have a definite advantage but who in the west overall do you think will come out on top that's a good question i think it's going to be san jose because san jose much like the lightning have been getting closer and closer every season but here's the thing martin jones has as a goaltender has just been getting increasingly better every season he's played the Sharks have a very strong lineup and these, you know, they've been there. They faced off against the Ducks. They know what to do. They know what not to do. They've they've had time to kind of focus in on a strategy. And I, I think that they're going to go all the way. But also, you know, the Predators want it pretty bad, too. But I, I'm predicting this is my prediction. It's going to be the Sharks versus the Predators for that spot into the Stanley Cup. Who will come out of that? the Sharks. I got to say the Sharks because the two teams that have the most momentum when it comes to the the postseason right now is Nashville and San Jose. And they're the teams that want it the most. The Ducks, they're a good comeback team. The Kings, they're good in the playoffs. The Vegas Knights, unpredictable. Minnesota Wild, they're like the the Capitals. They, they don't really do much. They get into the playoffs and they kind of fizzle out. Winnipeg's another team. They get into the playoffs. They're impressive for the first round, maybe. And then they just kind of don't do anything with that. So I'm predicting Nashville versus San Jose. And I'm, I'm predicting San Jose will make it all the way. And then uh, as far as the East goes, I think that it's going to be the Penguins. Okay. If you've got the San Jose Sharks versus the Pittsburgh Penguins, I've got, as far as my picks are concerned, the 
Toronto Maple Leafs going up against the Winnipeg Jets. When it all comes down to it, I think in the end, it's going to be the Winnipeg Jets are going to be the team to beat overall. And I think they're going to take the Stanley Cup. I, I see the roster even more stacked. I think they're the hottest team going in as far as that's concerned. And they're going to have all the momentum on their side. And I think they're going to take it all the way to a Stanley Cup. Your thoughts on who will come out in your matchup as far as the Pittsburgh Penguins versus the San Jose Sharks? Jesus, like asking me what my favorite movie is. That's why it's a prediction show. I'm going to say San Jose because, well, Pittsburgh's got some pretty solid offense. San Jose really locks it up around the net. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that San Jose is going to take it this season. And I hope they do because as much as I hate Sharks fans, I don't hate them nearly as much as Duck fans. <laughs> Fair enough. Even though you live right down the street from where the Anaheim Ducks play. I don't think that argument is logical. Everyone always throws that at me. They're like, you need to vote for the team closest to you. How many Red Wings fans live in Orange County? You go to a Ducks game when they're playing the Red Wings, about 75% of the audience is wearing red. Once again, that's our picks as far as the NHL playoffs. Josh is going ahead with the San Jose Sharks, pulling it out on his end over the Pittsburgh Penguins. I'm going ahead with the Winnipeg Jets over the Toronto Maple Leafs as far as our picks for the NHL playoffs. Have you got different thoughts on who's going to go all the way and taste that delicious champagne out of the Stanley Cup? Share it with us, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, or you can send us a message through Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. When we come back, we've got some quick thoughts from our good friend Hunter Vaught at the TV Rainy's Guide. And after that, Josh and I will be back to close out the show talking about Doctor Strange and what is his future going to be like in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is the Pop Culture Cosmos. We are the Metal Geeks Podcast, and on this show, we have heavy metal, comic books, video games, movies, theme parks, and more. Wait, wait, wait. Comics? Yep. And movies? Exactly. Video games? Yeah. Metal? Of course. How does theme parks fit in this? It just does. All of us Metal Geeks can be found at MetalGeeks.net. At Metal Geeks for Twitter. Metal Geeks on Instagram. And Metal Geeks on the Facey Space. You can also find us on iTunes. Subscribe today. Metal Geeks. It is the Pop Culture Cosmos. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly want to thank you for sticking around and checking out the show. We've got a lot of great things to talk about when it comes to the TV world. And who better to talk about it than our good friends at the TV Ratings Guide. you got to check out the TVRatingsGuide.com for all the great things going on in TV Ratings Land with reviews, stories, original scripts and updates and news on the tv ratings world it's our good friend hunter vaught how are you today my friend oh i'm good i'm glad to be here <laughs> oh it's great to have you here indeed this is us okay jack we finally found out what happened with him and you know if it's actually still heroes he would have been okay but okay we won't go there but <laughs> he's actually kicked the bucket on the show and we find out how he died and everything. Are the ratings still there? Or now that people know how Jack died, have they gone in, in unison as far as leaving the actual show and, and not watching it anymore? Well, the ratings have held up in the few episodes since then. There hasn't been much of a test, really, because it hasn't been very many episodes. 
but they've seemed to hold, hold up well so far. And as someone who watches the show, I can see why. It's because the show had this big mystery of how did Jack die, but it wasn't focused on that. It like had so much other focus, and that wasn't even a question that was introduced until a few episodes in. Like There was no confirmation that by the present day where they were showing that Jack was dead. So that big mystery and that big question wasn't something that dominated the show. It was just something that it was something that kept viewers very interested. But ultimately, it's a show about family and a show about these characters. And the show seems to have done a good job of getting people interested in those characters, not just the mysteries and the stories. So that's why I believe that it's held up well in its few episodes since then and hasn't lost viewers interest. And for the record, I still use my Crock-Pot, but we won't go there. <laughs> oh, I didn't even actually talk to you about Timeless when it's returned to NBC. What is going on with Timeless now that's on the, what I've always called back when Elementary got put there, the Sunday 10 p.m. death slot. But I've heard there's actually hope for the show after all. Yeah, I was really pessimistic about its chances going into season two because the renewal for season one, if I don't know who... if all of you were following it or not but it was originally canceled but then a day or two later the decision was reversed and likely because sony the who produces timeless offered nbc a good enough deal for the show that they decided to give it a second chance and i've thought that okay it's giving a second chance but that's not it's not going to do what they expected they or they hope it will do but in its premiere it actually did pretty well and it ha- it's kind of declined since then so it's become more of a bubble show but it's doing better than i thought it would and it does have a good chance of coming back for season three i believe i just think it still has to get out of that sunday 10 p.m time slot i just don't think it's a 10 p.m show i think that's the first problem it's always been put on 10 p.m and i just don't think it's a 10 p.m type of show it seems like a uh, i've actually been watching the show myself and i I think it's a show where you could put it on on an 8 p.m. and or a 9 p.m. slot because of its content and the way it the way it handles uh, its various time frames. And I think it would be fine, but I think in it's it's never been best served by being in that 10 p.m. time slot, which we are now associating with. When you also talk about the broadcast cable stations, about shows that go a little bit more risky with a lot of certain things. Yeah, I mean, just comparing. Timeless, the show that aired in that same time slot on the same network a year ago, Shades of Blue is a much darker show. Much dark content, like the the type of things that the show covers, it definitely belongs at 10 p.m. While Timeless, it doesn't really need to be at 10 p.m. In fact, it would probably, I would say that it's the type of show that, since its ratings aren't great, you want, don't want to put in a priority time slot, but it could work on Fridays at 8 or 9, or during the summer at 9 o'clock. I agree with you 100%. I just don't think, it, you know, if it ultimately does get canceled permanently uh, and it's ever going to happen, I think that's one of, the, one of the things that's said about it is just, it was just never meant to be for that time slot that it's in currently. But like you said, it's all about how they negotiate the deal and how NBC always perceives it to be as something that they just want to use as filler out in the schedule or something that actually they wanted to go ahead and promote. And you can tell, you can tell which shows that they love and which shows that they are just using as filler on their schedule. But yeah, that's for <laughs> another story as well. One last thing before we head on out. Is there anything spring premieres that, that's coming up for CBS that you wanted to point out as well? 
Well, CBS doesn't have many spring premieres, at least, well, they had two new shows, New Comedy Living Biblically, Biblically, it's hard to say again, um, and premiered to the end of February, so it's still like, it wasn't really spring when it premiered, but it's mostly airing in the spring, and that one isn't, it's not doing so well, but they also have Instinct, new uh, drama, which airs in Sunday nights, at 8 o'clock, in between uh, 60 Minutes and NCIS Los Angeles. Well, it's hard to say at this point because it got such big lead-ins in its first couple weeks, especially its second week, with CBS airing big March Madness basketball games before its primetime lineup. So that gave the lineup a big boost. That makes it hard to gauge how well Instinct's actually doing. So the first week we'll really be able to judge it, I believe, is when it airs on April 15th, which is its fifth week, because then there's no holiday that'll drag it down or no big lead-in that's going to boost it. We're going to say it, see its true strength. So we'll definitely have a gauge on Instinct to see if uh, that's one of the two shows that will survive the, the cut line from CBS as far as its uh, spring premieres are concerned. Any other shows that you want people to know about that are coming out this spring or any other shows, period, that, that you want to talk about as far as that's on streaming, uh, cable, network, whatever you want to talk about, the floor is yours, my friend. Oh, that's a lot. <laughs> what are the shows that, that you think people need to know about? A lot of my favorites just ended recently. Or, but, oh, there's one I can mention. Netflix has a comedy, One Day at a Time. It's a remake of uh, the old show, One Day at a Time. It's very good. It just got renewed for its third season after, like, a there was a big push to get it renewed because there was no news that had come out about it yet. And with Netflix, we can't really gauge how well the show's doing, usually, unless... It's obvious, like, which was like Stranger Things. Obviously, that's a hit for them. But people advocated for its renewal, and it just got it recently. I think it was this week. might have been the week before. That's great news for all of us fans, and I definitely recommend the show. It's a great family comedy that tackles a lot of issues and does it very well, I believe. Like you said, it did get go ahead for another season, I believe, a week ago. and, And definitely looking forward to that for all you Netflix viewers out there. Well, uh, once again, uh, you know, it's just so great to have you on. It is Hunter Vaught. You can contact him on Twitter at Hunter V-O-G-T. That's at Hunter V-O-G-T. If you have any questions for him on the TV rating scene or also as well through TV Ratings Guide and TVRatingsGuide.com, there are the place to go as far as reviews, Renew Cancel Index, articles, features, original programming that they have exclusive to TVRG that, well, actually, it's not so exclusive because they actually send it out to us and we're so blessed <laughs> to actually also present it as well at the Pop Culture Cosmos with their original shows that they're doing. So definitely check that out as well on their platform. It is tvratingsguide.com because TVRG is the place to go for everything TV ratings. Hunter, it's been so great having you on. And again, you are welcome back. I know, like you said, you had the upfronts in May coming up. So definitely looking forward to hearing from both you, Jess, Jonathan, and anyone else at the TBRG as well. Yeah, it's going to be a hectic time. Looking forward to it. I am as well. And unfortunately, there will be no Nashville around the talk. <laughs> but again, it's great having you on, Hunter, and, and great having you apart of the pop culture cosmos.
If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. And we're back to close out the show. This is, again, the Pop Culture Cosmos. want to thank you so much for sticking around and enjoying the entire program also want to thank Rob McCallum from Rob McCallum Films. Also as well, want to thank Hunter Vaught from the TV Ratings Guide. Josh, before we head on out, we've got to talk a little bit more about our breakdown in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This episode, we're talking about Doctor Strange as, again, we break down the movies leading up to Infinity War. Doctor Strange was kind of like a trippy movie because of all that was going on, and also it was one of the last introduction movies that we had. Your thoughts on Doctor Strange as a movie, and then I want to ask you a question as far as his involvement going forward. Doctor Strange was a visually impressive movie. In filmmaking, there's a a group of special effects. I I don't know if they're on the special effects team or, or what, but they're called rotoscopers. And what they do is they take the special effects and they go frame by frame and put them into the movie. I see all the special effects, the the kaleidoscope stuff going on in Doctor Strange. And I really hope that they got well paid for that because that is meticulous work. I did it and not even on something that elaborate. I did on like a three minute movie and that literally took me 12 hours to do. So I appreciate where they're coming from with that. And that movie probably had a good deal of it. But Okay, as for Doctor Strange's place in the MCU, yeah, he's a very important character. If you look, if you read the comic books, he is in the upper circle with Tony Stark. You know, you have the Avengers Illuminati, which is made up of Tony Stark, Doctor Strange, uh, Reed Richards, and so they have these tentpole characters. Tony Stark is obviously one of them, but since he is rumored to be leaving after Avengers Four. You know, they're going to have to turn to Doctor Strange or Reed Richards, and they don't have access to Reed Richards fully yet because I know those contracts haven't been signed. So Doctor Strange is obviously the next choice. But what Doctor Strange also does, which is good, it opens them up to a whole new, much like Reed Richards opens them up to the end zone and all those other dimensions, Doctor Strange has access to different planes of existence. So Anytime in the comic books, anytime there's there's a dispute or there's something going on, House of M is a good example. Scarlet Witch is losing control of her powers and she's doing all this stuff and killing all these people. And Doctor Strange shows up and he's the one that can see through it. So he is the foundation of all of that side of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because now that we have Scarlet Witch, you have access to those stories that potentials of her losing her power they're, they're going to have to have something monumental happen in order to pull some people into this next phase of the marvel cinematic universe but the movie was really good it was well written you kind of got his background story you know without having to go through all this back materials and stuff his the whole story with his hands the eye of Agmato, and uh, him becoming dr strange and kind of honing in on that he kind of became dr strange really quickly but i guess you know they needed that to happen for the movies to progress into the next phase but i you know i'm i'm a fan i'm I'm a pretty big fan 
I thought overall it was a solid movie. Again, visually it was outstanding to watch, and I think that is its greatest attribute that will last for a long time to come. Going forward, however, I want to talk about Doctor Strange as being one of the main entities in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and being someone that they can rely on for the foreseeable future as a Tony Stark character that they can lean on. For the next phase of the MCU, I think you're going to be leaning on Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel as your Captain America, Iron Man, one-two punch type deal as superheroes that the Marvel Cinematic Universe will lean on as far as being those two entities that Marvel's going to push out to the forefront as far as being the two main characters to rely on. Do you feel differently? Oh, I, I agree. This first section of the MCU showed the earthly heroes. They did a good job of showing like Earth and the cosmic side and all the, the things that affect that sector, I guess, of the galaxy. Now going forward, they're obviously going to have to up the ante a little bit. And so bringing Captain Marvel in is a good way to show that like, hey, we're still and you know, they have Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. We're still paying attention to this, this cosmic side that we opened up. But also we have this new realm that we're exploring, which is the the astral realm of the MCU, where there's a lot of good stories to be told there. So we're going to I think that Doctor Strange, Scarlet Witch, their abilities are going to open up to bigger, badder possibilities as far as an overarching villain goes. And they would be crazy not to use that. But then again, I'm hearing rumors of, you know, the secret invasion, scroll Cree or whatever, you know, and also Ant-Man Wasp, the quantum realm. So there's a lot of places that they could go. They have several options at this point. But no, I think you're right. Doctor Strange is going to be a tentpole figure in this era of the MCU. And which is going to be cool because he's kind of someone who is living through all of the phases. But we're getting a a character that is going to be with us through this journey for a long time. And that's really cool to see. It definitely is. And I think he so far, Benedict Cumberbatch has done a great job with Dr. Strange. I think he makes a very convincing case as Dr. Strange. And I look forward to seeing him not only in a sequel to Dr. Strange, the original movie, which hopefully will be even better than this other one, which I thought was solid. But again, there are better movies in the MCU but I'm hoping as a lead character, he will be that tentpole as good as Iron Man and Captain America have been for the previous phase. I foresee him and Captain Marvel being those two entities to look out for for the foreseeable future in the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. What are your thoughts on Doctor Strange? Did you enjoy the movie? Did you think it was a psychedelic trip like we did also, do you think Doctor Strange will be one of the key members of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it continues into the next phase after Avengers 4? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com, also as well, popculturecosmos, humanica media, and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. So, Josh, any last thoughts on the way out? Go see A Quiet Place, and I am going to be reviewing some games here soon so stay tuned for that i got like four that are going to be popping up here over the next two weeks we're breaking down the list of top video games very soon we're actually formulating and tabulating all the votes now as we speak can't wait to be able to show everyone out there the great stuff going on with pop culture cosmos and we definitely thank you for being so much a part of it so for josh peterson this is gerald glassford It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop.
Culture Cosmos. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day.